You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive from the grave. Alive forevermore, and he, by his death and resurrection, takes away from us the fear of death. And that's what the text is about, dear saints. But I have a question. Uh, How long do you think, so this is a guess, uh, how long do you think it would take to read the gospel lesson? How much time do you think we spent reading it there? I timed it this morning. It took 54 seconds. (laughs) With those seven verses from Luke chapter 7, 156 words, an inch and a half of space in the bulletin, the Lord gives us enough there to spend the rest of our lives meditating on it and never exhaust the wisdom and the comfort and the encouragement, the courage that the text gives us, especially because we also are dying. Like the man being carried out from Nain. We also are mortal. Now, we might try to ignore it or put it out of our mind, but each one of us will have a last breath. So Luke tells us that there was a funeral procession. A young boy or a boy or a young man was being carried out of the village of Nain to be buried. Maybe even to be buried in the same family plot where his father was buried. His mother is there leading the procession and she's a widow. So she's done this before. Now, we don't know what happened, what happened to this boy or what happened to his father, if it was a sickness or if it was an accident that ended their life, but in an important way, we don't need to know because we do know what happened, why these two men have died and why we are dying, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. We know how death began. We know how it was with Adam and Eve how they were created and how God never intended for them to die. And yet they and their children were handed over to death because of their rebellion against God and His Word. In, in other words, we don't know where, the, where this funeral procession in Nain started. We don't know where the widow's house was there in town. But this funeral procession and every funeral procession started in the Garden of Eden. On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, the Lord said. And it's true. Now, in that word from the Lord in the Garden of Eden, there's a double death. If you, if you bring the text straight across from the Hebrew, Genesis 2, verse 17, very literally, word for word, it would read something like this. On the day that you are eating of it, dying you will die. So that there's a double death that occurs on the day that Adam and Eve eat the fruit. Now, this is, this is helpful for us for a number of reasons. First, it answers the question that I, at least I always get, and it is, why didn't Adam and Eve simply fall over dead as soon as they ate the fruit? The answer is, they had to die two deaths. The first was spiritual, the second was physical. And we see that Adam and Eve did die spiritually right away. They realized they were naked, they hid from God, they were mortal and sinful. And second, the reason why this actually is, this text is helpful for us, we remember that the fruit was not a poisonous fruit. I think we a lot of times think of it like that, like it was a, like a snow white kind of thing, a poisonous apple or something. 
That's not the case. God did not say that when you eat the fruit, you will die. But he said, on the day that you are eating the fruit, dying you will die. In fact, if we look at it carefully, Adam and Eve had begun dying before they even took a bite. They, they died when they determined to eat the fruit. When they, they died when they believed the lie of the devil. And the third reason why this text is so helpful for us, and especially for what we're considering this morning, is that we want to remember always that death, spiritual death and physical death, is a punishment for sin. It's one of the lies that the world tells about death that we're tempted to believe. We hear it all the time, this lie, that death is natural, that death is part of life, the great circle of life. You're born, you live, and you die. No. God did not create Adam and Eve to die. And He did not create you or me to die. Death is unnatural. Your body and your soul are never supposed to be torn apart. It's sin that does that. Sin is why we die. Sin is why this young man in Nain is being carried out to be buried. And it's why one day you also will be carried out to your grave. And the devil loves this. I mean, the devil loves everything that's unnatural, but especially the devil loves death and the tyranny that he can bring through the fear of death. Hebrews 2, we were looking at it this week. Hebrews 2 tells us that all mortals are held in bondage by a fear of death. Now, I think this fear shows up differently for all of us, and I suppose it, it could be, in fact, different for each culture or each generation. I, I was trying to figure this out, how our own culture treats death, and I think it has a, there's a, a kind of a awkward two ways that we wrestle with death. On the one hand, we try to avoid it at all costs. We put death out of our mind. We try to avoid uh, uh, any thought of death, and we try to pretend like we are not dying. We practically simply act like we're never going to die, like we're not even ever going to get older. <laughs> we cover it up. But then on the other hand, we're sort of obsessed with it with death and destruction. We make movies about it. It's just, I mean, it's what the news is about every night. We tell stories and play video games about death and dying. We just can't, we can't escape it. So we're trying on the one hand to avoid it. On, on, on the other hand, it has a sort of dark obsession in our mind. And that's because that there is a tyranny to death. In fact, there's a tyranny to the way that our own dying uh, uh, takes control of us or, or exhorts its power or authority over us. And it's in this tyranny that we begin to recognize that not only is death unnatural, but that death is the enemy. This is the biblical understanding of death. Death is not something that you have to come to grips with. Death is the enemy. So listen to what Paul says about death. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. This is in the middle of this great chapter on the resurrection. Paul says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So that death is your enemy. Death is my enemy. Death is all of our enemies. And, praise the Lord, death is God's enemy. Or to say it another way, God is death's enemy. 
in His mercy and His kindness for us, the Lord has taken up a war against death. Now, He didn't have to. Death, remember in the garden, death belonged to us, to Adam and Eve and to their children, not to God. On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, God said. God didn't have to die, but yet He looks at us with love and He says to us, now, in your sin and in your dying, I will become a man. I will suffer death to destroy death and to destroy the devil. On the day that you eat of it, I also will die. I will die for you. So that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have taken up the banner against death, our enemy. So here's the picture. Death has been on the march since the Garden of Eden, and Jesus has been resisting it. But now this march of death is going through the little village of Nain. Death is marching from the widow's house out to the graveyard. And here comes Jesus marching in the other direction. And His march is a march of life. His march is a fighting and defeating march of death. His is an undoing of the curse and of the fall so that Jesus is standing where Adam and Eve could not and did not. He is the resurrection and the life. And he stands in front of this funeral procession and he reaches out and he touches the open coffin of the young man and he speaks. <coughs> now it's interesting that Jesus speaks first to the widow and then to her son. Stop weeping, he says. And then, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man, the text says, sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Indeed, for Jesus is God in the flesh, visiting his people, dwelling with us. He has the power to bring us back from death, back to life. And he does. But there's more to it. I think it's important for us to remember that all of the people that Jesus brought back to life, this, this young man at Nain and Lazarus and the centurion's daughter and all those that Jesus rescued from death, that all of these people eventually would die again. Otherwise, they'd still be alive. We could go visit him in Nain and see how he's doing. <laughs> He could tell the story. Now, the, the young man in Nain could climb out of the coffin on this day, but they could keep the coffin to use later. He had to go back in it at some point. I mean, Lazarus had to eventually put back on the grave clothes and go back into the tomb because Jesus, with his power, can restore people to life. But to be one from the grip of death takes something even more. He has to purchase us from sin and death. So that He has a price to pay to win us. And that price that He pays is His own death. It's His holy, precious, and holy, precious blood and His innocent suffering and death. That's what wins us life eternal and gives us the resurrection of the body that leads to life everlasting. So here's the picture. Now, I've told this story before. 
So excuse me for repeating myself, but I think this gets to the point. You have to imagine a little bit that you are a sheep, maybe one of Job's 7,000 sheep. (laughs) And you're out in the wilderness, and you're there under the watchful eye of your shepherd, who, as far as you can tell, is a strong shepherd and a bit of a serious fellow. But you, being the curious sheep that you are, love to wander off. And one day you wander off and get lost. And as you realize you're lost, you become more and more frightened. That's happened to you, no doubt. You realize that you're in the wrong place. And then the deeper you realize you're lost, the more and more worried you get. Uh, And this is how you are out in the wilderness by yourself. Until at last you creep around the rock and you think you might be going the right direction. But you find yourself face to face there alone in the wilderness looking at the jaws of a ferocious wolf. And you know you're a goner. Well, says the wolf, you're just in time for dinner. (laughs) And he starts to creep towards you. But then, and you think if things couldn't get worse, you look behind you, the trees are rustling and something else is coming. And you say, now what, what do I have now? A lion or a bear or something? But it's not because out of the trees steps your shepherd who's found you. Right when you were at the most dangerous spot, the shepherd has found you. And you think, I'm safe now. He says, that sheep belongs to me. That's nice, you think. (laughs) I belong to that shepherd. I'm going to stay close to him from now on. But then the wolf says, hold on, wait a minute. You know the laws of the wilderness. You know how it goes. The sheep walked here into my yard. And you know the rules that walks into my yard, they belong to me. I can eat them, devour them. They don't belong to you anymore. And now you turn to look at the shepherd, hoping that he's going to laugh at the silly rule like the wolf is making it up, but he doesn't. He says, you're right. And your heart sinks. You're finished. But then the shepherd says, To your astonishment, the shepherd says to the wolf, I've got an idea. How about this? How about instead of eating this little lamb, you eat me instead? Before you can even blink, the wolf is standing on top of the shepherd, devouring him instead of you. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. I lay down my life for the sheep. To rescue you eternally from death and the grave, it took more than an act of power. It took, in fact, an act of weakness, an act of sacrifice. Jesus had to pay the price. Now, we want to be a little bit careful with the illustration. We want to make sure that we don't say that Jesus, that we do say that Jesus didn't owe the devil anything. The price that Jesus paid for your redemption was not paid to the devil, but to his own justice, to his own holiness. But still, legally, there was a price to be paid, and Jesus paid it. To rescue you from death, Jesus died. To rescue you from sin, Jesus bled. To rescue you 
from eternal condemnation, Jesus suffered. So, so that you, dear saints, what this means is that you have something more than this young man in name. Something more than this widow who was rejoicing that day, receiving her son back. You have something more. Because when Jesus wakes you up from the sleep of death, it will be a permanent Awakening, a forever and everlasting awakening. You will never die again, but will participate in His resurrection and in His life that knows no end. So take heart and don't be afraid. Jesus is risen from the dead and He sets us free from the fear of death. He has made a way out of our own graves to come to life everlasting. And one day soon, He will bring us all there by His blood, by His cross, and by His resurrection. Amen. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.